1: Well, let's see here. On this fine day in April, it marks two anniversaries on the day we record Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Number one, as pointed out and covered in fine fashion on azcardinals.com. Not sure, honestly, if it was by Darren Urban or Kyle Odegaard, but the anniversary that Reggie White decided to go from the Eagles to the Green Bay Packers. Darren, was that you who wrote that?
0: It was me who wrote that, and I do want to give a hat tip to uh, Mark Dalton, the fine vice president of media relations who uh, teed me up, the longtime Eagles fan who was probably crushed in 1993 when Reggie White decided to leave the Eagles. For all I know, Mark Dalton was working as a intern for the Eagles at that point. I don't remember if he had gotten there yet, but, uh, yeah, he teed me up on the anniversary, and it just made a lot of sense, obviously, because of J.J. Watt. That's right. I
1: forgot about the Philly factor. Yes, for the uh, Philly native Mark Dalton, who was just out of college. J.J. Watt was some four years of age when uh, his first real hero in sports, Reggie White, went to his hometown, or at least uh, the state of Wisconsin, the Packers. And uh, so that's all good, Kyle. Uh, But you know, I can't believe nobody, and this most definitely was not on azcardinals.com, but you know, there has been a failure of vacuum of coverage when it comes to the other happening on this fine day, April 6th, not 1993, but the subsequent year, 1994, which of course is remembered for the live ESPN2 telecast where Jim Everett overturned the table and went after Jim Rome on his talk show and almost jack stomped him on live TV with the red light on if it wasn't for a few stagehands and maybe the floor director got in between Jim Everett who was going to take out a piece quite literally a Jim Rome on live TV at that moment. Yes, indeed, this same date, 1994. And I thought that might be somewhat of an appropriate introduction because that's basically where we left off last week on Cardinals Underground. (laughs) And if it wasn't for the social distancing, playing the role of the floor director, getting in between two of the three of us here, and in particular, the one guy who's not wearing the collared shirt, apparently I missed the memo, You guys are wearing the same shirt here for this episode of Cardinals Underground. So I just thought that somehow was fitting that a week later, uh, you know what, that we will pick. We will not pick up where Jim Rome and Jim Everett left off here on Cardinals Underground. That is our promise this week.
2: We had a, uh, a very nice conversation, maybe got a little bit heated at times. I never I never felt a violent urge during that. We were just debating some football personally. I don't know if you were going to come through the computer at me. I, I felt like I was at a good level where we were having a, a vociferous disagreement, if you will. But I did not have the urge to punch you. So.
1: <laughs> hey, I, I should say, you know, Paul, a pacifist over here. It was a spirited <laughs> disagreement, okay? so So our mission, Darren, is for the two of us to try and be as productive as Reggie White was with the Packers at age 32 going forward. I could not believe that stat in your story that over six seasons with the Packers, he had 68 and a half sacks. And in his final year <laughs> at age 37, he had 16 sacks. I mean, I remember Reggie White being dominant, utterly, uberly dominant, but that's absurd.
0: That, what, quite frankly, I hadn't remembered that either. What, what's What's wacky to me is, the way Reggie White's career ended up, he got those 16 sacks at 37, retired, and they decided after a year out of the game, he wanted to come back and went with played with the Panthers for 16 games at age 39, obviously wasn't as productive, and then retired for good. Um, but to have 16 sacks at 37, I mean, no wonder J.J. Watt sits there and says, I would love to have this second part of my career after age 32 like Reggie White. I knew Reggie White was great with the Packers, but you're right. Once I looked up the stats, I didn't realize he was that good. Uh, and quite frankly, if, if uh, J.J. Watt at age 32 and beyond is able to have half the number of sacks Reggie White provided uh, for the Packers, if he can do that for the Cardinals, I, I think it would be well worth the move for the, the Cards and, and J.J. Watt.
1: Yeah, there are two defensive players from that era that you talk to guys who played in that era. They speak with absolute reverence. Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White, (laughs) period. Those are just two guys from that era who was so ridiculously dominant. Here's the question, Kyle. All right, so J.J. Watt basically was the beginning of the Cardinals' offseason, and the big, big, big splash, obviously. Are they done between now and the draft? Do you figure the Arizona Cardinals are done in free agency?
2: Well, we're sitting here with, what, about three weeks to go? I, I I could see them adding a piece or two. I mean, you look at where their cap room is. You look at certain positions that still need players. I don't know how high profile these guys will be. I mean, if you sign a corner, I could still see a decent named corner coming to this team. But if you're talking about... A running back, you know, it it might be a big name because most running backs are, but I don't think you're spending a decent amount of money on a running back or, or a tight end at this point. But yeah, I mean, I think there's still room to navigate and I still think there are enough needs at the current Spot that that I think it's possible. So I I think I'm still looking at that that second cornerback spot knowing Steve Kimes MO where he likes to have all his positions addressed going into the draft. So he doesn't have a significant need that he has to fill. And maybe that's Robert Alford. Maybe he feels good enough about what Robert Alford can do that. He's that number two cornerback. But if not, that's the spot I think that they still might be looking at uh, before the draft.
0: I would have to at this point, Paul, I'm thinking to myself that, you know, I I got a chance to talk to Steve Kime the other day and he basically said, this is the part where we kind of focus on the draft where really all the teams are focusing on the draft. I would think at this point, if somebody were to sign it, it probably is a guy that you've already had a conversation with. And you basically said, this is what we're offering. It's kind of take it or leave it. There's no real negotiations here. So if you did bring them in, it would be uh small modicum of, of work involved in terms of bringing him in just to get his physical and then having a, a low key signing. I don't think it's going to be any kind of negotiations big time at this point, because the reality is this, I mean, I, I look at these positions, I, I see them, could they use another tight end? Yes. Could they use another cornerback? Definitely. Could they use a running back of a, a bigger running back? I think so. Um, and there are some names like Kyle mentioned that are still out there, especially at cornerback that you would recognize. But the reality of the situation is, is we're so close to the draft. I don't think at this point, there's gonna be a lot of market for who's still out there before the draft. And after the draft, those guys, their leverage goes way down because all these teams have added all these new players. And so they could become even cheaper or maybe more to the point, they realize that they don't have a whole lot of leverage to increase what teams are already offering them. So. I guess I wouldn't be completely stunned if they made a signing or two, I'm thinking one, between now and the draft. But I think at this point it's probably more likely that there's going to be a couple guys somewhere in that May range. The Antonio Cromartie, Carlos Dansby once upon a time signings. Uh, Dansby signed in May the first time he came back. Antonio Cromartie was a guy who signed in May, hoping for that bigger deal, never materialized and finally realized, okay, I might as well do that. Um, so I, that's what I'm kind of thinking, or even waiting all the way until training camp. But again, in this day and age of where the salary cap is, that's a dangerous road to hoe for any free agent.
1: Hey, is it wrong for me to expect one more signing between now and the draft? Dare I say we're owed one more signing between now and the draft? Did Steve Kime not say, and I quote, there could be an opportunity with a tight end, dot, 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 in the next couple of weeks. Well, that was two weeks ago, basically, when he met the media. So but he said, it, "Could I'll, I'll wait, I'm waiting for the tight end. We're all the tight end at this point.
0: But but see, when he says there could be an opportunity, see, I, I read that as the same thing that we're, we're just talking about, Paul, which is ultimately maybe there is a tight end out there, a veteran tight end they asked to come here. And the tight end's like, well, I'm not playing for that money. And the Cardinals are like, well, okay. And, and maybe that's the could part is the offer's out there. And if the guy wants to sign, great. And if he doesn't, it's not like we're going to pursue him anymore. So I I kind of think where that is. So to me, again, if somebody signs, I think the groundwork has probably already been laid. And it's just a question of whether the guy wants to do it. And, you know, does he take the risk of waiting until after the draft? The one thing a tight end for this team might have going for him, a, a, a potential tight end might have going for him for this team is, is they've only got two picks in the first four rounds right? And I don't necessarily see them using one on a tight end unless somebody wants to be stupid and let Kyle Pitts drop all the way to 16. Um, I don't see it being for a tight end. So, you know, maybe an agent kind of can read the tea leaves and say, well, look, you know, the Cardinals are going to need a decent tight end because the earliest they'll get one is the fifth round, let's say, you know.
1: Well, you say a potential tight end. I say an expected tight end, Kyle, dare you say a needed tight end? I mean, if we were to do the power pole of needs right now, I'd probably say running back, tight end, corner in that order. Are you on board with that or are you elevating corner?
2: First and foremost, I hope Darrell Daniels listens to, the, to this podcast because he was signed like two or three weeks after that proclamation and he's going to line up to uh, be punching Paul Calvisi in the face after me. That you're the Jim Rome to to his <laughs> Jim Everett,
1: whoever that was. More reason, um, more reason to keep social distancing, or at least a table between me and hard hitting Darrell Daniels. Yeah, um, no, I would.
2: I think corner is the highest priority. A, I think, unless unless you have true belief in Robert Alford staying healthy, I still think you're down a, a starting cornerback at this point and. At running back, you have Chase Edmonds, and I agree that tight end is a need, but I just don't think it's nearly as premium of a position as corner. So I feel like cornerback is such a a more important position, stopping all these great wide receivers and these great passing games. Last year, you know, the Cardinals tight end group wasn't great, but I don't think they defined the offense. So if you want to use... Max Williams and Darrell Daniels, and then sign a move tight end that isn't a huge name. I think you can do that and put more focus on the wide receivers. And I also think you can sign a running back for the minimum, give them some carries and and make it work. But I definitely feel like cornerback is the most important spot because of the way the roster looks and because of the positional value.
0: I would, I I don't mean to cut you off, Paul. I, I just would say along those lines, I think these all can run on parallel tracks. Anybody signing at this point for the most part, I don't think is gonna get a ton of money. So it's, it's not like you can't make them, you can't sign all, all three of those positions and, and get a veteran. But I will say that if, if you're gonna make me rank them, I would still have cornerback first, running back second, tight end third at this point. Um, but I do think again, I think by the time we get to training camp or even the off season here, if, if there's some work on the field, I think ultimately there's a good chance, depending on how the draft goes, that they could sign a veteran at all three of those spots.
1: You guys listen your reasons to make corner the number one need right now, if they're gonna have another signing between now and the draft or immediately thereafter. Shouldn't we also include on that list of reasons to add a corner, just the dependability factor on Robert Alford? Look, we all love Robert Alford, but he hasn't been there the last two years. And as good as he's looked during the off season, and two years ago during camp, you, I, there's no way you can look at the depth chart if you're Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury and count on Robert Alford. Can you? I, I, honestly, I, I mean, Jeff, that's for the reason I think you have to sign another veteran proven corner.
2: Yeah, I think from a skill standpoint, you believe in him because Steve Kime gave him a, a good chunk of money two years ago. And each year they planned on him being the number two. But I agree with you, Paul, after two straight seasons of year ending injuries. And then I don't know if he's 32 or 33 at this point, but you're in your 30s. And obviously you kind of deteriorate physically after 27 years old is what they say scientifically. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think you would love to have him as your starting corner. And if he stays healthy, I think he can be that guy. But it's hard to count on him without a backup plan. With that being said, Byron Murphy can play outside. And you have a lot of safeties. And Buda Baker can play some slot. And Jalen Thompson can play some slot. And Isaiah Simmons can go from linebacker to strong or free safety. So you kind of have a lot of different ways to fill the secondary out if you need to, but I feel like that's more of a transition during the season type thing. I think ideally you go in with another cornerback locked in as that number two, and then having Robert Alford as your fourth quarterback is – fourth cornerback is great insurance because you haven't had that talented of a fourth corner in a very long time so I think that would be a really nice depth if you can get it to that point
0: the, the other thing when you start talking about this situation is that we don't know kind of like what I was just talking about with a tight end we don't know even though there's some names out there at cornerback maybe they have tried to sign a veteran cornerback of some note with some experience and that guy's just like nah, I don't know if I can play for that money and so there's kind of this waiting game where these guys are kind of hoping that they can still get money somewhere. And the Cardinals are just like, well, this is what we're going to owe. So it's possible that they've already tried to sign that other veteran beyond Malcolm Butler and it hasn't happened. Or the other possibility is, too, and I know they've tried to, to, to hedge against this for a certain extent, but... Maybe there's enough guys out there that are all kind of ranked the same veteran-wise for this team in terms of who they might sign, that they figure, like, let's go into the draft thinking we're going to draft at least one cornerback, knowing that there's so many guys out there that we have about the same level, that there's going to be guys afterwards. Let's see what we get in the draft before we commit anything else to a veteran out there. That's also a possibility. It's hard to know, uh, but I I don't think there's any question I – I think we're all on the same page here. I mean, I don't I agree that Alford ultimately is better suited as a fourth corner going into this and if he plays really well and usurps somebody great, but you, you I don't know if you can count on him as number 2. I agree with that concept. And I don't know if Robert would necessarily agree with it, but I mean I would think he'd have to understand it. I mean, this is a, a guy who as well as he's played in in the training camp practices that he's been able to have with the Cardinals He hasn't played in a regular season game since 2018 and that year he was messed up with an ankle so he hasn't been healthy healthy until since like what 2017 that's a a lifetime ago in the nfl
1: that's a really good point absolutely and that sort of reinforces the point the uncertainty in robert Alford. you're right his last healthy season 2017 think about that let that wash over you for a guy who's 30 years of age plus Which brings us to my next point, and I think this might be a record that we've all agreed for this long on an episode of Cardinals Underground. Here's where uh, at least one of us goes off the rails. (laughs) The more I think about this, the more I believe the Arizona Cardinals should trade pick number 16 for a proven, well-above-average cornerback. Look at how aggressive other teams have been in this division. Have the Cardinals made significant moves? Yes. Have they been aggressive? Yes. Have they been aggressive enough? Because that's a big question mark right now. And we talked about this, and Darren, we both agree. Pat P wasn't Pat p's rookie year. As unbelievably talented as the number five pick overall. DRC, the, the first-round corner taken before Pat in terms of the Cardinals draft history, didn't crack the lineup until around Thanksgiving and he was very good in December and even better in January as the Cardinals made that run. But to think that you can draft a corner, whether it's J.C. Horn or whomever, Caleb Farley, and think that guy is going to be the guy his rookie season, that's a bit of a gamble. And if you're still on Kyler Murray's rookie contract like they are, and you're all in right here, right now, the question to me becomes, Kyle, have the Cardinals been aggressive enough, and is there room – to actually solve that and do basically what the Seahawks and the Niners and the Rams have done and deal that first round pick. Seems pretty unlikely at this point. I think it's
2: a dangerous game to trade first round picks for um, veteran players, especially depending on their contract situation. Like if you trade for a third year guy on his rookie contract that's a proven star and you get two or three years of below market value for him, then I get that. But if you're talking about trading right now for a pro bowler um, who's making already market value, that's tough because you're saying basically I'm going to give up this first round pick and we're going to push in hard for this year. But if he's on his last year of his contract, for instance, then you got to either pay him next year or let him go and you're looking at a one-year rental and i get it because first round picks can flame out and sometimes you will get no no production at all from a first round pick But sometimes you'll hit on a pro bowler and then you have a pro bowler for a really cheap contract. So it's a very boomer bust proposition in the draft, but those are so valuable when you hit on them. Uh, So I would be reticent to do it. I mean, I I think you still have to realize that you need young, cheap talent to build any sort of long term uh, foundation for a team. And knowing that, yeah, Kyler Murray is cheap right now but he's 23 or 24 years old and you want him to be your franchise quarterback for the next 10 years after that. And you always want to have some good players around him. And to do so, you need to have draft picks. So I think if there's a slam dunk case and there's a guy who is below market on his contract, still on his rookie deal, or he's got a favorable veteran contract for two years, maybe I'd consider it. But if it's an expiring deal or a guy already making market value, I I think I would probably pass on that.
0: I think the other thing too is, uh, and I I mentioned that I got a chance to talk to Steve Kime last week. And it's funny because I felt a little seen because I know I've used these words myself on this podcast. But at one point, uh, we were talking about the free agent signings and everything. And he's like, look, he goes, I know. And I don't think he was necessarily referring to me because I know there's been some national talk along these lines too. But he goes, I hear all these people talking about going for it and pushing all our chips in. And he goes, I don't see it that way. I see it as we, our team was had five wins and then had eight wins and didn't make the playoffs and wasn't good enough. So I'm trying to make this team good enough. And I just thought it was interesting that he's not seeing it as a push the chips in kind of situation. And if that's true, then under this scenario where you're talking about trading because you're going for it, I don't think they look at it that way i agree with kyle i think there's this sense of we've got to we've got to still have something down the road yeah we're, we're signing some guys right now uh, that are probably going to be relatively short term part of the short term part of it has to do with money and you know the ability to sign guys or not sign guys because of the salary cap for this year but um i, I do think you gotta look we, we all know the issues with first round picks and and maybe that's part of your argument, Paul, is that, you know, if you struggle with some of the uh, first round picks anyways, maybe get something that's a little bit more of a known quantity, but I, I ultimately agree with Kyle. I think they're in a position where, especially with the way the roster is built now, not only do you have to find somebody in the first round this year, that's going to give you something, maybe not as much this year, but in 2022 and 2023 and 2024, and you really need to hit on it. And I think this this pick, not only do I think they wouldn't necessarily trade it away for a veteran, but I think the pressure is pretty big that they get something really good with it. And it and it and that's more for the future than maybe necessarily 2021. You're
1: right. That's exactly where I'm driving, the known versus the unknown, and just the 50% hit rate really across the NFL and a lot of first round picks as opposed to dealing that first round pick and for example I called up the eight Pro Bowl cornerbacks from this past season now look you're not getting Jalen Ramsey and you're not getting Tredavious White I'm throwing those out right off the top Uh, Xavier Howard of the Dolphins what about Stefan Gilmore older massive contract not sure that's the other end of it not sure if that's Number 16 might be paying too much for a Stefan Gilmore, but I don't know. Maybe the Ravens are in love with a guy and all of a sudden they want number 16 and they're saying, here's Marlon Humphrey. Saints have serious cap issues right now, still do. Marshawn Lattimore for your number 16 pick overall. That's mighty tempting to me, Kyle, considering at number 16, the degree of uncertainty there as to what you're getting, especially in the rookie year, is significant enough where to me you have to consider that a and then b this is the only time in the history of Kyler murray's contract you're going to be able to consider that at this point in the offseason that's the other end of my point
2: yeah normally i would say slam Slam the book shut. I'm not even having this conversation about trading a first round pick because it goes against everything philosophically I would do as a GM being an analytics guy. But I agree with you where if there was one year where they did it and it wouldn't surprise me, it would be this season or it could also be next season as well. But I mean, we foreshadowed this going into free agency like the Rodney Hudson trade was not a surprise at all to us because we knew they were probably going to be aggressive. and getting J.J. Watt and and Malcolm Butler and A.J. Green, like they they might, I mean, Steve Kime might not be pushing all of his chips in, but he's certainly been more aggressive this off season than he usually is. And I think that's a testament to where they are with Kyler Murray's rookie contract. So it certainly wouldn't stun me, especially if a Pro Bowl cornerback is available and you feel like that's the last missing piece for this roster, then it could happen. But I'm also looking at the NFC West, knowing that man, there's a lot of talent in this division. And you went eight and eight last year. You weren't ten and six or eleven and five, and uh, you didn't win a playoff game type thing. So you have to really believe in your ability to go from eight and eight to a Super Bowl contender in the best division in football in order to really go all in like that and give up the first round pick. So it would be a gamble, but if any position. Makes sense. I totally agree. Uh, for a Pro Bowl cornerback would be the move.
0: Let's face it, the only reason you would, don't want to slam the book right now and you want to agree with Paul is because you're trying to avoid fisticuffs. I think that's <laughs> – we've, we've figured that out for the time being. That See, it's Darren's it's, it's instigator. all about the love fest today.
1: No, Dar- Darren's the instigator. You know, as Kyle pointed out, uh, you know, there was a spirited debate. Uh, there was no threat of violence. This was not uh, the Jim Rome, Jim Everett type of thing over there. So, you know, I mean – well, I was about to, you know, pay Darren a compliment. I'm thinking about retracting it now here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I was about to say that in the absence of Steve Keim, the next best thing on this podcast is Darren Urban, who's been talking to Steve Keim. And here's my question. So you can role play here, Darren. Sure. Cardinals and Niners are the only two teams in the division with a first-round pick this year. And the Niners just paid through the nose to go up to number three with their hyper-aggressive slash desperate move, giving away two first-rounders in the next couple of years and a third-round pick to go from 12 to three. Seahawks threw without a first-round pick in the near future because they had the Jamal Adams trade, among other moves. Okay, so the fact the Cardinals have a first-round pick this year and they're the only team in the division with a first-round pick next year, is that a competitive advantage that you think the GM wants to hang on to?
0: Uh, well, I mean, when you say if it's one he wants to hang on to, like, as opposed to trade it away. I mean, I, I don't think anything is being ruled out. If, if the right deal came along or something came along where you're like, why, why, why would I, you know, not do that? I mean, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head of, of what it would be. But, um, you know, if some crazy defensive player became available and that team said, I just need your number one pick from 2021 and maybe a fifth round pick. I don't think he's going to be like, well, I'm the only, I'm the only GM in the division with a number one pick. I'm not our first round pick. I'm not going to give it up. Certainly not. But I think it can be an advantage. I, I think this, where this division is going and, you know, Kyle just talked about it. It's like this division is the best division in football. I don't think there's any question about it. And um, I, I think that's only become more, apparent this offseason however i think the window for this division being the best division of football could close quickly because you don't know what's going to happen long term with russell wilson in seattle um the 49ers are rolling the dice giving up those picks for a hope for uh franchise quarterback who looks like it i mean we don't know who it's going to be exactly but as we all know Quarterbacks, even early in the draft, bust out. And if they end up with a bust out quarterback, they could be in trouble. Um, and and the Rams are on the back end of whatever window they're gonna be in because they're paying so much to certain defenders, and they've got their quarterback is now a lot older than it was three months ago. So I think a lot of teams, we talk about pushing the chips in. I think all the other teams. I think the Seahawks for sure, and the Rams definitely have pushed their chips in. So I I think, yeah, it can be an advantage for this team if the Cardinals leverage those picks for young talent that stick. I mean, as we've already talked about, you've got to be able to hit on that first-round pick to have it be worth that leverage. So
1: with that being the case, the competitive balance in the NFC West, the toughest division in the NFL right now, and then considering the other – hyper-aggressive moves made by the other three teams in the division a big part of me right now Kyle wonders should the Cardinals have even more urgency this offseason to continue moving the meter just based on looking over the block wall into their neighbor's backyards
2: I mean I think they've certainly been aggressive you you paid J.J. Watt a bunch of money you traded a draft pick and 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 for Rodney Hudson, who you're paying a decent amount of money. I mean, there's only so much you can do before you get reckless with it, and you're just throwing money out there to guys that don't deserve it. So I I feel like Steve Keim had his foot on the gas throughout the offseason, and I I also feel like you're at a spot the rest of this offseason where something presents itself, and we've seen it in past years with Antonio Brown, coming up and, and changing teams. And like weird stuff happens in the offseason and guys become available that you didn't think because of their contract situations or unhappiness or whatever. So the Cardinals could be primed to be one of those teams. And I think back to like Jalen Ramsey, when he was unhappy in Jacksonville and people always said the Cardinals should go after Jalen Ramsey, but it wasn't quite their time yet because they were too early in the rebuilding process but I agree with you. Where they are at that point now where if a superstar comes available, I think the Cardinals will be one of those teams in the mix and they'll be willing to deal their first round pick if it's worth it for that type of superstar. And I don't think you can do it for a guy that isn't at that level because first round picks are so valuable. But I agree where the Cardinals will be aggressive if if it presents itself like when Rodney Hudson came on the trade market, Steve Keim is like, okay, I will give up my third round pick for this Pro Bowl center. No questions asked. And I'm sure he'll kind of stay on that wavelength for these
1: next two seasons. And you're right. I mean, there's a point at which aggression becomes reckless. And we talked about it last week to me, the 49ers giving up two first round picks and a third rounder, then swapping this year, in return for Trey Lance or Justin Fields, you know, I mean, I, I just, to me that's that's beyond aggressive. To me, that's reckless. That's desperate.
0: Mac I Jones,
1: Was it... Mac
0: Jones, possibly. I Mac mean, Jones, that's right. the thing everybody keeps talking about.
2: Get in line, guys. Darrell Daniels has the next punch on Paul. Now it's Trey Lance and <laughs> Mac Jones. The yeah. list is getting longer.
1: Justin Fields. So, uh, you know, I'll, cons- I'll continue to be poly Pandemic here at Casa Calvisi uh, until I get out of witness protection. Put it that way. Until it's, sort 2025. Of like, it's sort of like the state of the stock market right now. You guys tell me if this is an app comparison. The stock market's at all-time highs. All these penny stocks are at all-time highs. It's like the dot-com era 20 years ago. Don't ask me how I lost money in web ban. I still blame my buddies in the Silicon Valley. <laughs> Google it up. There's this analyst guy, and he must have been he must have been 80 years old. And he had all the perspective in the world. And he said, look, all these people are piling into the stock market mindlessly. And it's a recipe for disaster. And it always ends in an avalanche. And remember, and he paused for effect, avalanches go downhill. It's a very worrisome sign. And so some of these ultra-aggressive moves, to me, remind me of the dot-com era in the stock market. I mean, you're just piling in thinking, I'm going to get that quarterback. Well, that top three quarterback isn't automatically going to be the answer to your problems and might ultimately set back your franchise a decade. The New York Jets just traded their sixth straight first-round pick. Think about that. You know, the headline on the back of the New York Post sports page screams, Scram Darnold, right? Get out of town. And so they're hitting the reset button. Again, it's far from a panacea, Darren, to make these moves and think that's going to be the answer. You
0: no, know, and, there, and there's already a list of these top three cornerbacks that teams traded a boatload of, of picks for to, to get to, whether it's Jared Goff or Carson Wentz or RG3 or Sam Darnold, and they're already on their second teams because they didn't pan out. Now, I will say this. There's, there's two thoughts to it. We, we can talk about – and you're right – we can talk all day about um, it's not necessarily a panacea, but if you're not winning, you're not winning. And and there is uh, there is a thing about sunk cost, ultimately. And you, you've got to move on. The Cardinals are a great example. They traded up to get Josh Rosen to get 10. They were in a position the next year to get a quarterback they thought was better. Well, I mean, do you, do you hang on to Josh Rosen? I mean, it's so easy to – be afraid of being too aggressive because of the future or whatever. But the other reality is, Paul, is if you don't get better quickly, and if you already see that that quarterback that you took or the roster you've built isn't gonna work, you better do everything in your power very quickly to get it changed up because you're not gonna be around anyways. And so there's a fine line, and I agree with you 100% that you can be too aggressive But there is there is a certain feeling, like especially in today's NFL, where there is no waiting and there is no drafting a quarterback and letting him sit two years so he can be ready. I mean, that's just not the deal. You got to you got to swing for the fence. You got to draft a quarterback. He's most of the time. It better be in the top five, not even the top 10, the top five. And you better hope you hit on him and you're not always going to. And when you're 80 years old and you're telling your grandchildren about that time you spent as GM, you better hope you did. Otherwise you're just one of those guys that failed. Then at least you got a chance to be a GM in the NFL. But sometimes it's not always about, I mean, to me, it's not always about how smart you are. The draft is such a crap shoot in so many ways. There are people that make mistakes. There are GMs that are better than others, but ultimately I feel like it's, in a lot of ways, it feels very much the luck of the draw and the greatest GMs, maybe not the very greatest, but the, the ones just below that, the better than average ones, the difference between them and the guys that failed and nobody ever is ever going to remember them, I don't think there's that much difference. I think it's just the luck of the draw.
1: Well, to your point, our Jim Almondro just texted this stat. Since 2006, 29 quarterbacks have been top 10 picks. 29 quarterbacks since 2006 selected in the top 10. Only Patrick Mahomes, Matt Ryan, and Cam Newton have made first-team All-Pro. Only Mahomes has won the Super Bowl. So there you go, to your point. Now, you know, it's, it, you look at this and, and you say to yourself, all right. And, and speaking of, of this sort of precedent, Dave Pash tweeted something out. And you know what? It was an astute observation by the voice of the Cardinals In between his Bill Walton tweets going viral, he took some time and he made a really good point about, uh, you know, what the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray and set the recent modern day precedent that, you know what, you can move on from a franchise quarterback you took in the top 10 after one year, you consider it a sunk cost. And if you think you're upgrading, boom, you pull the plug and move on. And the jets did just that.
2: Yeah. I don't think anybody's batting an eye at what the jets did. And I, think it was clearly the right move you got some draft capital back like Darren said it's a sunk cost so even though you didn't get the equivalent of what you spent you still got something and now you get a rookie quarterback in this much talked about rookie deal where you've got the four seasons and and kind of a fifth to really make a run and and stockpile weapons around him so I'm totally on board for this way of building a team I've been a broken record about it for a long time i think it's the way to go and and that's why i don't fault the 49ers like i did not like the jamal adams trade for seattle because i wouldn't trade a first round pick for a safety but i would trade draft capital for a quarterback because if you hit on him then you're set up so well for his his four seasons on a rookie deal and with as good as the san francisco roster is right now If you get a good quarterback right there, I mean, that's a Super Bowl contender. So I completely understand the thought process. But like you said, Paul, they have to be confident in their evaluations and they have to nail the pick because even if you are confident in what you see and you feel like there's three franchise quarterbacks in this draft, there probably aren't and you're hoping that the third guy is and somebody ahead of you messed up. So we'll see how it goes. I I completely agree with the thought process, but – it's a crapshoot, and we'll see what happens once they draft somebody.
1: Well, and if they stay at number 16, and we all expect them to stay at 16, I mean, Kyle, is it, is it beyond rational expectations to think, you know what, they better get some instant help from that guy they take at number 16, whether it's a corner, whether it's uh, you know, that receiver who somehow falls to him they're in love with, or perhaps an edge rusher of some sort. We know in the first round that Steve Kime is always of the opinion you take quarterback, cornerback left tackle, or edge rusher. So, I mean, at number 16, should we start banking now on penciling that guy in and getting an immediate return on investment? From a positional
2: standpoint, I wouldn't necessarily say those positions because at 16, I don't think you're automatically going to take one of those guys. I think it could be any position because... Sometimes you're looking at the fourth best offensive tackle compared to the best tight end or, or something like that, the best running back, uh, the best safety, and, and you have to weigh all those factors, but I do think the immediacy impact type thing, I think that is legitimate because you think back to a few years ago and DJ Humphreys was drafted when the Cardinals were a great team and he didn't play at all as a rookie, but he didn't need to, and then Robert Kimdichie was drafted and they obviously wanted him to produce more, but they weren't counting on him coming in as a rookie and being a game wrecker. And I don't think you need this number 16 overall pick to be a dominant player in year one, but I think they would like to get more out of him than they did Isaiah Simmons a season ago. I think you want this rookie on the field more because... The the expectations are going to be so high this season and maybe it's not games one through eight. But when you get to that second half of the season, kind of that David Johnson type impact from 2015, where you can slot this guy in, you can see how good he is in practice. Let's make sure mentally he knows what he's doing. And then we have this interesting chip that we can bring in and, and add to the fold in the second half of the season. I think ideally that's what you can get out of your first round pick this season.
1: Yeah, and make no mistake, the players, if we're actually in camp and able to actually converse with the players, you'll know. You'll know halfway through camp. I mean, you guys remember Tyron Matthew was drafted. It was – heck, it was the off season, and there was already a buzz what Tyron Matthew was doing during mini-camp and some of the OTAs. It was halfway through Cardinals camp, even though he had dealt with a hamstring, where players were already talking about David Johnson, the rookie, and the first preseason game that he was actually able to play in, which I think was the second preseason game, David Johnson – And I still vividly remember the players getting off the bench, making their way to the white stripe. They wanted to see David Johnson when he got into the game. That's when you know that a rookie has the veteran's eye. When they get off the bench in a preseason game, put down the sunflower seeds, and want to get a front row look for themselves. And to me, that's what the Cardinals need. They can't afford a DJ Humphreys who doesn't contribute in year one. You can't be the Green Bay Packers who trade up and get Jordan Love and he's third string all year. This is no time for that sort of first round rookie.
2: Yeah, Buddha Baker wasn't even there for off season workouts. He comes in in training camp, and it took him a little bit. But you realize athletically, like this guy's legit. So you're right, Paul. You can those special talents. You can see very quickly that they're going to be stars.
0: See, I, I I will say this. I I would say that could. Could they use somebody, especially if it's a cornerback, do you need somebody who can kind of step in right away and do some things? Yes. I, I hesitate when I say, when you say uh, they can't afford it because ultimately – because I always think this around the draft class, and I know people get upset about the first-round picks with this team a lot of times, but I always think to myself as we're doing the draft coverage, and maybe this is this is just a personal – issue with me my get off my lawn moment but i'm like when we start talking about this team in training camp um like we're always going to talk about the first round pick because people are interested but when we talk about the direction this team is going to end up this season it's almost never the first round pick even if he's going to play right away it's about whether in this case kyler murray plays well or deandre hopkins or jj watt or uh malcolm butler or how jordan hicks does this year i mean it's Those guys are going to have a lot more impact on the direction this team ends up going than anybody they take in the draft or in the first round. Now, you might luck out and have one of those draftees make a a good impact right away, but I would still argue that it's still more important that all your veterans do their jobs and anything you get from the draft class tends to be gravy. To me, the draft class is about getting those younger players so as you move forward, they're on those cheaper contracts.
1: I guess I end up somewhere in between. Definitely not more vital than DeAndre Hopkins, JJ Watt, Chandler Jones coming back. But I think in the NFC West, that first round pick has got to be more than gravy. You know, if you're in the NFC East, okay, maybe. But I think there are expectations, rightfully so, and necessarily so, I I believe, with this number 16 pick, especially where they sit right now, and they do have at least two pretty big needs on that depth chart tight end, you can mask and get away with, and you have Max Williams, but right now to me, corner and running back, those are two areas, you better have addressed by the time you get to mid-May.
0: I know, I, I agree with that. But again, I, it may or may not be the draft. I mean, the, the thing that scares the bejesus out of me is if they get to 16 and they decide we have to have a cornerback, and then they take a cornerback who may or may not be any good. And even if you get a guy who's serviceable, for the next five, six years. I don't know if I want to spend the 16th pick on that.
1: Well, guess what? The Cardinals did that 22 years ago when they took the Iowa corner. Tommy Knight. Tommy Knight. Tommy Knight. Yeah, remember that? Ninth they overall. Corner bad and they reached. Yep. It was a reach back in the day. Yeah. They did he, it
0: in uh 2008. Um, was it 2008 or 2009 when they took Cody Brown the pass rusher out of Yukon in yep. the second round they needed a pass rusher so bad they way reached and he was a complete washout and and i've talked to people and they've admitted they knew they were reaching when they took him and they needed him so badly and that's just and you can't you can't do that
2: i think a lot of it depends too on what position they take because you're right paul if they take a running back and maybe it's at 16, maybe they trade down and and into the twenties and and take a running back. But if you take a running back in the first round, that guy is going to see a lot of playing time right off the bat. If it's a different position, especially if it's like offensive line, like last year, Josh Jones never really had a chance of, of seeing the field even as a third round pick because of his position, but running back tight end. If, if Kyle Pitts does happen to fall, if one of those wide receivers happens to fall, if, if you weren't counting on a Jalen Waddell or whoever, a Devontae Smith, but they're there and you want them, then I feel like, yeah, it's I, I agree with Paul. Like You're at this tipping point in roster building where you've got two years where it's very important to be competitive and you do need more than gravy from that first round pick if it's at a position where you need some, some extra help. So I think we'll see what they do and, and what the position looks like. But I, I I agree where this year feels like more so than in past years, where if you can get an impact guy early, that could be important for 2021 and 2022.
0: I I just want to jump in here, Kyle. And I, I, I really wish you wouldn't get our listeners all riled up because Kyle Pitts is not going to be there at 16. I'm willing to wager a large amount of money on it. If I was actually somebody who would wager, which I never would do, well, um, he's not. Gonna I was there. just
1: going to wait. I was just going to bring that up because I thought it was conspicuous by the fact that both of you have mentioned over the course of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Out of nowhere, unprompted, both of you have mentioned the possibility of Kyle Pitts falling to the Cardinals at number sixteen. Uh, am I missing something? Are you guys reporting something? One of you just <laughs> spent time talking to the GM at length. What am <laughs> I supposed to discern from the fact you've both now dropped Kyle Pitts falling in the draft, uh, theoretically, to the Cardinals? Kyle Pitts is unlikely to
2: fall to number 16. And if you look at every skill player individually, uh, Jamar Chase is Jamar's first name. I yeah. think he's unlikely to drop to 16. Devontae Smith unlikely to drop, but you talk about four pretty premium skill players and look at how many quarterbacks are going to go in the top 10. So, Somebody is going to be at 16 last year. We didn't think CD yeah. lamb and Jerry Judy were going to drop as far, far as they did. And the year Johnny Manziel came out, people did not think the Cardinals could have taken Johnny Manziel if they wanted him and they didn't want him and they didn't take him, but he fell. So I especially Kyle Pitts, he, he did so well at pro day. I'm sure he'll be gone, but when there's four premium skill players and you're at 16 and you know, probably five quarterbacks are going to go ahead of you. I mean, start doing the math. There's going to be some player that drops, and and somebody's going to be available that you might not have thought. Isaiah Simmons last year. You guys didn't think he'd be at seven, and and he ended up there. Or eight all that. Or all that picked. being
0: said. All that being said. I while I did talk to Steve Kime and he did not mention any of the potential draftees at all. Uh, we really didn't talk much about the draft per se. Um, I feel confident in saying the Cardinals would metaphorically, because I don't know how this how it works right now, but metaphorically at least, run that card up to the podium as fast as humanly possible if Kyle Pitts was there at 16. I feel very confident in, the, in saying that because they would have a needed tight end because they could use a dynamic pass catcher, and, and he's great. But I also say he's not going to be there, so it is what it
1: is. And by the way, so we mentioned Max Williams, uh, Darrell Daniels has also been dropped twice in this podcast Is physically threatening Paulie Pencilneck. Okay, that's <laughs> been duly noted. Uh, and that's due in part because Dan Arnold has gone to Carolina and uh, you know, has been pointed out by our ohms as well. Uh, you know, uh, man, bless the Carolina radio announcers when all of a sudden you get the big chunk throw from San Darnold to Dan Arnold. So that, <laughs> that's, that's gonna take a true professional in the booth. For that combination, especially if there's some 80 catches in the, in the, in the near future for Dan Arnold from Sam Darnold.
0: We, we know you'd nail it, Paul. So like we, we have your back. We know that you, if, if anybody, and I don't know who does the, the Panthers play by play, but if they need to give you a call, I'm sure that you would give them all the, the right uh, tips because I'm sure you'd nail it every time.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm no Dave Pass. He'll do four different sports over the course of a week and not miss a single name in any of the three-hour broadcasts, which is just uncalled for. Once again, I want to go on the record as saying that. Could the under-the-radar signing this offseason, when you consider that everything is about the quarterback, everybody now, it's a quarterback-driven league, no QB, no chance, we get it. The guy the Cardinals signed, who's supposedly a really good, quote, mentor to quarterbacks, Colt McCoy, Could that be something that maybe hasn't gotten enough attention perhaps Kyle, especially if they have a really good chemistry, both being Texas guys and they get along well, because what I've read out in New York was Colt McCoy went a long way towards the development of Danny dimes. And, and, you know, he exceeded some expectations, especially early. And if a Colt McCoy is there every step of the way with a Kyler Murray, um, I am curious how that relationship unfolds and just how beneficial it might be to Kyler in year three.
2: Yeah. I'd have to look at Danny Jones's production. I don't feel like he, he exceeded expectations very much. I still feel like he's very much in improvement mode going into year three. Uh, and I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's nice to have a, a mentor in the quarterback room, but to me, I think the Colt McCoy signing is is more important because a, from what I've read, I think it might be a veteran minimum or, or a pretty low contract, and I think he can play. I mean, he's a, he's a solid backup quarterback where if you're in a pinch and you're trying to win, say, a regular season finale to make the playoffs, you feel good about this quarterback. So to me, that's the bigger deal. I don't put a lot of stock into uh, having a mentor in the quarterback room. I feel like Kyler Murray – has to do a lot of that on his own. He is the person he is and he's going to work hard if that's the type of player he is. And I don't think somebody telling you to do something will work because a lot of time it's the off season. And right now Kyler Murray does what he wants to do. And that's either training or not and watching film or not. I mean, you can have people to prompt you, but I think you have to do it within yourself. So I think, the, the bigger value to me is having a guy like Colt McCoy because I think he's he's a solid backup quarterback who can get the job done on the field if you run into an injury and you didn't pay a premium for him. So that was kind of the question is, would the Cardinals pay a decent amount of money for a backup quarterback who could win in a pinch? And I think they got the best of both worlds where they didn't have to pay a high salary, a 4 or $5 million mark for a backup quarterback, but I still think they got a guy who can come in and do the job if needed. I,
0: I would tend to agree with you. Ultimately, this is first about having a backup quarterback you're comfortable with on the field. I, You know, I'm sure if we asked Cliff Kingsbury right now, he would say that Colt will have to battle Chris Streveler for that number two role, but I would expect Colt McCoy to win that ultimately on the field. And, you know, after that season finale went last year, you want a guy that can step in and potentially win you a game and probably play better than not probably play better than Streveler did last year. So ultimately you, you do have all those things. I do think he can help in the room. I know again, that's something I talked to Steve Kime about. I do think he feels like, he can be kind of a, another potential partial coach. Uh, you know, we they did kind of cut down the coaching situation. Tom Clements isn't around this year. Um, Cam Turner is going to be the quarterback's coach, and you have Cliff. But here's another old head who knows a little bit about the game. And, and ultimately, um, I, I just want to steer off this topic because uh, that seemed like it was moving dangerously close to Kyle talking about how Leadership doesn't matter, and it all matters on the field. And I just don't want to see you guys get in a fight again. I mean, that's just – nobody wants that. I was cordial with my answer, right?
1: (laughs) Once again, the the instigator. Darren's turned into – he covered hockey once upon a time. He's the last guy on the bench, the goon, who now checks in when uh, all of a sudden you might be down a couple goals, you need somebody to instigate something and, you know, throw a punch get the other team's uh, best player in the box, something like that. Set the hard uh, pick.
0: I'm there to set the hard pick, Paul. (laughs) That's
1: right. That's right. So, hey, sometimes you get a backup quarterback because you want him just to be different and you want defenses to prepare for that guy every week, right? Cardinals don't need to do that. They have Kyler Murray, who's, you know, come for the arms, stay for the legs. So they don't have to worry about that. So I, I just think they went for a guy who you're right, Kyle. The price was right. This ain't no Chase Daniel making $8 million to be the backup quarterback. some absurd salary. Uh, number two, they studied a lot of film on Colt McCoy getting ready for the giants. Cause if you remember Danny dimes, wasn't a certainty to play. So they looked a lot of film at him. Obviously they liked what they saw. And number three, and it might be number three in the power poll of reasons you sign him, you know, he's known as being a good mentor and you figure the whole Texas connection they'll get along. So, you know, as for my latest Spitz theory, thanks for asking, guys, as we wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground. I, got, I, I, I know you guys, it, it's, it's hard to believe. Um, you, got nothing to, you got nothing this week. You're out of theories. Out on theories, I've come full circle, <laughs> and I've, I've run out of theories. This is more of a gut feel. <laughs> At this point, on the anniversary of Reggie White signing with Green Bay, and Jim Rome getting jack-stopped by Jim (laughs) Everett. As we speak, because these things happen in threes, I think Larry Fitzgerald feels like he still has something to prove in that he has something to prove that he has something left. And I just have a feeling he's going to play this year. I I don't know where that comes from. I don't have sources. I most definitely have not talked to the GM. I'm just saying I have – a sinking feeling that deep down Larry feels deep down he's he feels like he can play and he's not going to hang him up till he's certain he has nothing left and that isn't hasn't that time hasn't come yet and so I I don't know what the delay is he's waiting for something I'm not sure what exactly Uh, I personally hope it's not for another team to make the Cardinals an offer they can't refuse or to execute some sort of uh you know a One year deal for Tampa or Minnesota. We've already been there with those theories. I'm just saying, I think Larry feels like he has something to prove. And hence I, I believe we're going to see number 11 out there this year.
0: Well, I, I would have to say my, my first gut was like, I guess it all depends on perspective when you talk about coming in threes, because for me, I got April 6th being Reggie white. And then, uh, Jim Rome and Jim Everett, and then for me, my brother Jason was born in 1972 on April 6, so that would be my third one. So maybe that fits doesn't fit all the way in there. I Look, I, I ultimately um, I could I could see the argument of Fitz deciding he's got a, a little bit more to prove. I, there's something stuck in the back of my head though with Larry when it comes to, and I've talked to him about this. He said it publicly. I've talked to him about it just the two of us, where you know he's he's maintained for a long time he doesn't want to be the guy that gets retired he doesn't want to be the guy that plays so long that people basically say you got to go away we don't want you here anymore because you're just not good enough he really doesn't want to be that guy now it was easy for him to say that five or six or seven years ago when they weren't going to ever say that to him and as he gets closer to the end maybe you know you you kind of get a different change and Again, we've said this every week. I'll let Kyle have his say for me. I'm not going to be surprised either way at this point. I don't want to
2: poke holes or ask questions because I know we are on Theory 74, but what
1: exactly does he have left to prove? You know what? I should that, That's the way I stated it at first, and then I, I try to amend that. I think he feels he, like he has something left. To say he has something to prove, no. Larry has nothing to prove. To anyone at this point, uh, you know he, he's one of the top three all-time receivers in league history. Period. So I don't feel like he has something to prove. To put it more specifically and accurately, I just think feel like he thinks he has something left. And as long as he has something left, he still wants to play. The question might be, as once again I formulate my own theories and thoughts on the fly, is that maybe he's wondering, am I going to get enough targets? To actually prove that I have something left. To actually have an opportunity to display what I believe is still an ability to produce. But if he's not going to get the targets, if he's not a big part of the game plan, is he waiting for an opportunity where he's assured to a greater degree that he will get the targets? I'm not sure. But if he does come back for the Arizona Cardinals, I think my personal fear is he could still have something left. And we never know it because he just wouldn't be that big a part of the game plan and or get enough targets to show us
2: well I think if Larry Fitzgerald has something left and and shows that throughout the offseason knowing how much people want him to succeed in this organization you're not going to keep him on the bench if you think he's one of your best receivers so I, I don't really see that but I I I think at this point, at his age, I think we have to deal with the reality of seeing the way Christian Kirk moves athletically compared to Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, Christian Kirk is a more dynamic player at this point. Larry has the better hands and the bigger frame and a better blocker, so he's got certain traits that still contribute to winning teams. But I I agree where it's, it's a lot trickier on how does he fit into this offense now that you've signed A.J. Green. So I feel like... The odds have decreased of him playing because of the machinations of the last couple of months. Where if he decided in the first six weeks after the season, I think it it would have made a lot more sense for him to come back. But now. I lean toward retirement because of all the questions when you look at the roster composition on offense and, and where he fits. And I, I don't think he has anything to prove yet to prove anymore. And he's not the type of guy that wants to hang on because he's got all these varied interests and he's, he's part owner of the Suns who are having a great season and he could easily just slip into that role and, and do that and travel. So I, he's not the guy that is just, gonna keep playing until they kick him out so for all those reasons that's the way i'm leaning but i mean we'll we'll see when he announces if he announces at this point but uh, still still a big question mark in my mind
1: see i should have just stayed on last week's theory that he's retired and he just hasn't announced it yet yeah. and he may not he may not officially announce it that we might find out just at some point he'll file the retirement papers and some source will leak it out of the NFL headquarters on Park Avenue. That's the only way we're going to find out is when those retirement papers get filed at the last possible moment, so he doesn't lose a year on that five-year window to to you know get elected into the Hall of Fame.
0: Well, maybe maybe Paul, if you just insult him on this podcast, he can just join the line of people that want to punch you, and then we'll, he'll come out of nowhere. <laughs>
1: You know what? I feel like I should leave it on a positive note. So <laughs> did, did, did you guys, and, and you guys dropped AJ green and targets. Did you see or here on the big red rage where frosty Rucker, former Cardinal and former teammate, AJ green, the rookie year in Cincinnati said, and I loosely quote, Hey, if AJ green gets enough targets with the Cardinals, he could easily be the NFL comeback player of the year. So that was interesting. And then somebody pointed out, well, that's all going to go to Chandler Jones. So there's always somebody, on Twitter, who's ready with a quick retort. I, I directed him to Darren's mailbag. <laughs> AJ is an
2: interesting case because we all know he was one of the best receivers in the NFL for such a long time. And like, I, I agree where we shouldn't just look at last season for a player, because if you look at, at outlier seasons, that's the one for AJ green, where if you go back when he was healthy, he was still a dominant receiver. So I understand the thought process of, him having a down season as he bounced back from injury and he can get back to that level, but he's also 33 years old. So I could see that it wouldn't happen because he's just um, falling off a little bit athletically and we'll see how he looks in training camp. And and I could see either scenario developing, but if, if that happens, I think that completely raises the ceiling for this offense where, you know, you've got Deandre Hopkins, and if you've got a, a legitimately healthy and talented A.J. Green on the other side, I think that's a big deal offensively because right now it's it's similar to what they had last year where you've got DeAndre Hopkins and then who's going to step up. And I think that question is going to persist until
1: we see A.J. Green and see if he is that same player of old. What's intriguing to me on A.J. Green is the analytics said the same thing that Steve Keim said about A.J. Green, that when you look, at his targets, a ridiculously low percentage were considered catchable, like only 60 percent of his targets were even considered catchable last year. So that really muddies the waters. You know, was it? Is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the player or the quarterback who exactly was responsible for those career low stats and the low production? I mean, did he even have a realistic chance of hauling in enough catches to be a factor?
0: i haven't had a chance to to watch a lot of what ajd green did last year but see to me the numbers wouldn't it's easy to look at the numbers but it's not the numbers that i would be looking at at this point it would be the what he was doing otherwise even when he was running his routes but when the balls were catchable was he hanging on to him and where was he going in those routes i mean it, it's kind of like watching Fitz. i mean look i think they should have targeted Fitz more often this past season. And I think he's got a little bit more than what his statistics showed last year. But at the same time, I'm not 100% sure. Fitz being in the position he is in, in terms of athletically in his career, I'm not so sure the numbers are going to be a lot better. He's not going to he's not going to be getting you a bunch of 50 yard catches. I remember on this podcast, you know, Kyle beating me down, and in hindsight, rightfully so. When uh, Larry had two or three or four 40 yard catches in the first two games of 2019. I'm like, he's going to have this great year. Kyle was basically like, nope, watch. He won't. And he didn't have another one. And he, you know, he, his production trailed off kind of drastically as 2019 went on. And I mean, that's part of the issue too.
1: This is just me. This is just an offhand observation because I remember talking about that as well. He had as many, chunk catches or 30 40 plus yard catches those first few games of 2019 as he'd had the last three years combined but at the same time he there were very few targets chunk throws to larry there just weren't and and then and they also dried up did they not kyle the rest of 2019 not only was he not making those catches but they weren't throwing him those routes see there weren't even any attempts to hit him beyond 15 20 yards
2: and i think you may have been accidental that those actually hit because it was Kyler Murray being a rookie trying to scan the field trying to figure out where to throw it taking some time Shocking I mean out. how long does it take Larry Fitzgerald to get 40 yards down the field it's not the the quickest route in the world and he probably just kept on going scramble drill wise and you look at when the Cardinals offense is rolling now Cliff Kingsbury wants to do precision quick passes it's not a bunch of deep shots unless it's DeAndre Hopkins one on one down the sideline but I mean, Christian Kirk obviously had some, but that's just not um, Larry Fitzgerald's game anymore. And A.J. Green, what kind of what kind of usage is he going to have? And uh, I get what you're saying about the, the catchable percentage, but another analytic said he didn't, he was one of the worst in the NFL at separation against cornerbacks. And to me, it's important to get separated from cornerbacks. Even if you've got a good catch radius and good hands, I think you need to get away from those defenders. Can AJ Green get back to what he used to be? So I feel like that signing is the most high variance of them all where he could he, he could be done and then you have a below average wide receiver who you paid a little bit too much to and the offense is going to have some trouble beyond DeAndre Hopkins or he bounces back and you have this pr- maybe Pro Bowl level or a little bit less than but still an above average receiver on the other side and that opens up the whole offense. So I think A.J. Green and his ability is going to be such a key to Cardinals offense next season. I think that's one of the main storylines is how he looks. Because we know DeAndre Hopkins, we have a good idea on what Christian Kirk is going to give you, even though he's changing positions. He's a he's a, a solid receiver, maybe not a, a standout, but a solid guy. But what is A.J. Green at this point in his career? To me, it's a huge storyline.
0: We, we've got to get better at the whole, hey, let's wrap this up with like two more comments, and then we end up going 10 more minutes. That's right.
1: That's right. I mean, you know, I mean, who's the guy who's about to give yet another anecdote? <clears throat> Because here's, here's a recollection. I'm going to tell you guys. I want to let you in on something, okay? People
2: can stop at any time. It's a you, podcast. You,
0: you told us about the signed football already.
1: 2000. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. There's the A.J. Green signed football right at <laughs> my disposal. Thank you for asking once again. Um, late in the first half, 2019, the opener, the debut of Kyler Murray, and the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. remember the joke later about how I was really regretting buying that house at halftime of the opener because the – offense was so anemic and inept in that first half against the lions before they made the comeback in the second half i can't tell you that as things were getting sideways into the second quarter there were players coming to kyler as he came off the field basically grabbing him by the shoulder pads and saying look when in doubt throw it to 11 he will make plays for you because as we all know he was scrambling around and was really just playing backyard football without a real knowledge of NFL defenses and or the playbook. We get that, the adrenaline is flowing. And I can tell you, players are coming up to him repeatedly saying, more the doubt, just throw it up for 11. So to your point, Kyle, you're right. It probably was a byproduct in hindsight of just a desperate rookie quarterback looking to unload the ball and, and try and advance it down the field. So.
0: Especially especially in that Detroit game. Those, the, the two big catches he had in that, I mean, those were, amazing catches by a a then, what, 36-year-old receiver? I mean, that was just crazy. So, all
1: right, there you go. See, we did leave it on a positive note. So there you go. You know, mission accomplished. It took us uh, well over an hour, but we eventually (laughs) got there on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.